I, I often think in terms of help me help you, right? But in reverse, from their perspective is, okay, so I, I agree, I ha you have my buy-in, let's do this. Let's help change the behavior, let's move forward. Okay, if I throw at them material that they need to translate or that they need to customize or adapt or tweak, I just added a ton of work that they might not have the time to do. So as much as possible, it's a partnership, helping them get things done in a way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of The Behave Podcast. I'm Munya Hoto, VP of Marketing here at CybeSafe. And today I am delighted to welcome Maura Durante Estrada, who is Security Awareness Consultant and LATAM Lead at Zurich Insurance. Maura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Munya. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be here. Awesome. Well, Maura, let's get right into it. First of all, I, I never really know uh, the different journeys that people take to end up as a lead in security awareness. So would you mind giving us a little bit of a journey of, you know, where have you come from? How did you, where did you start in terms of your career? And indeed, how do you end up as the LATAM lead at Zurich Insurance for Security Awareness? In a nutshell, serendipity, <laughs> for want of a better word. I started in 2014. I was born and raised in Argentina. I started, you know, back at my company there. We were, rather, I was part of global information security, but I have a background in journalism and communication. So although part of global information security, I started seeing an opportunity to develop security awareness in the region. Back then, I had, you know, all Latin countries at my company supports or, or services. I started with support from my LATAM CISO at the time, trying to develop security awareness, trying to develop, you know, content, just anything that would help me take advantage of, of what I was seeing in terms of the possibility of getting, I don't want to say behavior change because back then I did not even know <laughs> that what I was trying to do was security awareness. I wasn't aware there was a, you know, a community, a field, but that's really how I started by spotting an, an opportunity and starting gradually working towards it. Maura, that's super interesting um, that you've got this journalism background. How do you think your background in journalism and communication um, has kind of shaped your approach to uh, this particular space where I think communication and just, you know, fluency and eloquence is actually quite important, isn't it? Yes, yes. I, I think it helps very much because it gives me additional tools to help translate potentially, you know, technical topics to a language that people understand and I dare say are more interested to consume because the audience that we work with, they are not all of a technical background, right? And, you know, although say we all work with multi-factor authentication at our, at our job and we all need to have it enabled, et cetera. Not everybody necessarily cares as to the specifics of why it needs to be there. And so having the ability to make it simple, I guess, is the best explanation goes a long way because then we can kind of catch their interests and help them better understand in terms that are more relatable to them than if we just try to share content in all the full technical terminology. I think you're absolutely right. You know, most of the people that need to benefit from security programs are not security professionals. Um, they are working in engineering, they're working in procurement, they're working in accounting and finance. The ability to be able to make that content relatable, digestible, I think is fundamental to, to anybody that's doing a good job in this space. So, so I think that's, that's really great that you have that background. Now, a lot of people do tend to ask me, 
What does someone who has the title of security awareness consultant and LATAM lead actually do? What are you doing in the organization? Can you give us a sense of the size of team, you know, the kind of scale and um, variety of initiatives that you're running within, within, within your department slash organization? At my company in, in, in Latin America, we have six countries and we are adhered, I guess I could say, or we are in, in alignment, the global strategy of my team, right? I'm, I'm LATAM lead but I'm also part of the global security education and awareness team. And part of personally what I really like and the, one of my favorite things about the program that we have is that even though it is global, one of its mandates is that it can be completely localized, right? So that it, each country and each region can make it their own. And I think that's one of the reasons why it is successful because and, and this might just be part of the way that Latin America is as a region, culturally speaking. But, you know, we may have a, a superb global program, but if it cannot be tailored to the local needs, what might happen is that locally it will either get the minimum coverage to check the box and say, okay, global asked for this, we did it, or not at all. <laughs> because oftentimes global w may clash with local realities and local needs. So. I think it's key that, in, especially in companies that operate in, in many countries, not just Latin America, that they have that ability to say, okay, so we have this global program, but it, we expect and it can also be tailored to the local needs. And to answer your question in terms of teams, what I do is I think of myself a bit of a customer care representative of sorts. The, you know, the, the lead in the title, it, it, it's nice and everything, but at the end of the day, we are working, we're not just working with people, but I'm also working to try and help my BUs, help their people to, you know, have better security behaviors, to change behaviors, to whatever content we share with them, to, you know, to help them absorb it, to, you know, to help them remember it, you know, retain it really, and, and then to have them want to act on them. So a big part of my work is thinking in terms of from their perspective, the what's in it for me, right? Why should they work with me? Or, or apart from the fact that it's a global program that has to be also, you know, taken in locally or regionally, right? But what's in it for me from their perspective in terms of, you know, why should they localize what, what we share? Why should they work partner with me and, and distribute further the content? So there's a lot of human relations, I won't lie, with the ulterior motive of, helping those business units and those regions, you know, improve their security behaviors. So there's a lot of people relations involved. You are managing this tension between a global strategy and local execution. What are some of the challenges that you've encountered trying to take a global mandate and strategy and essentially make it relevant, interesting, digestible for your local six countries where you're, where you're actually really focused? The obvious one is language, right? Latin America's main language is Spanish and Portuguese. And even within those, we have, you know, Argentina, Mexico. Yes, they speak technically Spanish, but it's not the same Spanish. So what I produce locally for Argentina might not have the same terminology or might not be as effective if I just plug and play it in Mexico or in Ecuador. So language is one of the, the most basic, basic ones. The other one is I want you to want to wash the dishes, right? It's a don't tell me what to do. Regionally speaking, they don't like to feel like they are being told what to do. And, and that's where I was saying whatever there is globally as a program might be superb, 
But if there's not that partnership, if locally they don't see the value at for them and for their reality, then whatever that global content or program is, will get the minimum coverage just to say, okay, so we did this globally. So that tension it, it is a balance precisely in terms of, okay, so what's the value for them? How, you know, how do we make it applicable to them, to their reality or to, you know, to, to whatever is happening at that time for them? Maybe say from a content perspective, maybe we are, I don't know, this month or this week, we're talking about fishing. But maybe in, and I'm, I'm not picking on any country, but maybe in, in Ecuador, they really just feel like, I don't know, run somewhere takes more precedent to them because of local things that may be happening, whether it's at, at a company level or at a country level. And maybe in Brazil, it's more, yeah, business email compromise. So there has to be that, I suppose it's a strategy view in, in terms of being able to work that global mandate and being able to act as a bridge precisely to, to bridge those gaps and say, okay, so for this country, it's this topic right now. And for this other one, it's this other topic right now. Let's make it their own. Let's, let's from what we have, let's use it so that they see the value at, and then they want to apply or, you know, to share that content. And that all, you know, in theory is, is wonderful. But in my experience, if you don't first build the foundation from a human relations perspective, if you don't have that you know, that, that sense of teamwork, that name to a face and that, oh, so they're helping me, you might not be successful and you might not, you know, succeed or, or get to push forward what you want to push forward precisely because from their perspective, it will be, oh, so global is telling me to do this. They're telling me to do this, but I know my country. I know my reality. Maura, you're, you're touching on some, 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 some difficult issues here because <laughs> on the one hand, global recognizes the need to try and get everybody at least as far as I can imagine to know, to a minimum level of at least compliance. But it's also recognized that, mm -hmm. you know, compliance itself is not enough. Uh, you've talked here several times or mentioned several times, this idea of behavior change in different geographies, different languages means you've got to really understand culture. You've got to understand the local culture and the specifics and the nuance, you know, between Mexico, Argentina and Ecuador, for example. How do you actually go beyond achieving just compliance and actually getting some behavior change to happen? What are you seeing or how do you, you know, what do you have to do uh, in order to, to, to not just end up ticking the box and just stopping at kind of, you know, being compliant? Compliance parts, let's say, gets taken care of or, or let's call it the baseline gets taken care of by the annual training, right? That's, you know, it's, it's, we have it, it's across the company, all regions or BUs, and that kind of covers a number of topics that we need to ensure that all employees are aware of. But again, that's just in a way to sort of tick the compliance box or not even the compliance box, to tick the box in terms of, okay, so we did the annual training. To move beyond that, my experience and, and what I do with, with my regions is, of course, there's a strong partnership with the LATAM CISO. And I, I get that every company may be structured differently, but at the very least, there will be a LATAM CISO or, or a LATAM point person. And I work very closely with the different business information security officers, because again, I may know the reality, say, in Argentina or in whatever country I am based, but I don't necessarily know the reality in the other Latin countries. So we build strong partnerships with the business information security officers wherever possible with the communications teams. But it is, it is true that despite those strong relationships, what in my experience also works is 
they're very busy people, you know, the BISOs, the, the comms people. They, I get that, you know, if, if faced with the need to patch a server that has a, a found vulnerability or sharing out a message on how to recognize a phishing email, probably the patching of the server might take precedence at that very moment, right? So in that partnership that we build, there's a lot of trying to make things as simple and as plug and play for them within the specifics that I mentioned earlier, right? That every Ooh. country is unique, that we need to be aware of, of those realities. Because it's all about, I, whenever I, I speak with them, you know, I often, I, I often think in terms of help me help you, right? But in reverse, from their perspective is, okay, so I, I agree, I ha you have my buy-in, let's do this. Let's help change the behavior, let's move forward. Okay, if I throw out the material that they need to translate or that they need to customize or adapt or, or, or tweak, I just added a ton of work that they might not have the time to do. So as much as possible, wherever I, I can already localize things for them, or even if I don't localize, but I say, hey, you know, we need to work on this topic. How about we do this quick campaign? We can share, you know, on this day, this day, and this day, you tell me what channels are more effective. I can help you write the post. You know, it, it's, it's teamwork. It's a, it's a partnership, really, but it's helping them get things done in a way. Bearing in mind, you know, that, that they might have this, okay, patching of a server, sharing this content type of decisions to make. Kevin Mora, you, again, you touched on something very important um, right there. You've heard the statistic that says it, the number changes, but it's something like 74%, 80% of all incidents involve a human error uh, of this kind. And security professionals are arguing that that's because we've overinvested in protecting technology, you know, you know, patches and so on, and underinvested in the human aspect. And, and, and I wonder, you know, what do you think about that? Do you see that as part of why we've got, you know, quite good resilience as it pertains to uh, technology, but, you know, the human aspect then becomes a, a, a vulnerable aspect to the organization's security posture? Yes, yes, I, I agree. And I think for a while, let's say the the human itself was overlooked in that, okay, so precisely like you said, let's, you know, let's, uh, let's have the firewalls, the systems, the technology that help us, you know, be more secure. And I, I've seen, and it, it's great that, that I've seen that in recent years that has changed to a more, okay, that is all good and, and dandy and necessary, but let's not forget the person that's working at the computer every day. Because I'm, you know, I, I may be protected by a gazillion firewalls and technologies, but if on this particular day and I get an email and I'm like five screens open and, and I went and clicked and where's all the technology when, you know, when the human, let's say technology failed in that regard. Right. So, yes, I think it's, it's, it's great that recent, yes, I, I guess I could say recently the human has taken precedent again. And that is also a challenge in itself because we, let's say we humans, sometimes we know what the right thing is to do, and yet we don't necessarily do it. Ooh, um, mm. I, I always like to use an example with, with food in that, and I'll speak for myself, but let's say, you know, I, I love chocolate, right? And oftentimes I'll have a, a bonbon or, or a piece of chocolate and my favorite fruit. And I know that, you know, fruit is healthier, but oftentimes I'll go and just grab the chocolate anyway. So it, it's, again, it's that fine balance in, in getting people to want to effect that change. And in the way that we work, or, or at least in, in my experience or what I like to do, part of helping engage the person, part of helping them want to make that change is 
not only if we make things simple for them, right, to understand the concepts, to grasp the concepts, but also if from this what's in it for me perspective, we can also tie it to what's in it for me from a personal perspective. At my company, mm. I know that there will be procedures, there will be guidelines, there will be things that I will have to do because they are required of me. But from a security behavior pers perspective, what's in it for me personally? And that's, I think, that I think is, is a big hook, let's say, because any behaviors that I learn and I can transfer to my personal life, I am the same person at work and at home, right? So if I learn how to, you know, securely work with my emails or if I work, if I learn how to, you know, spot suspicious things, I will take those to my private life. I could even share them then, you know, with my families. We'll have senior citizens in our lives or, or kids in our lives or young people in our lives. So that's a big hook, I think, and that's a big selling point, if you will, towards helping make secure or security easy for people to, to help them want to make those changes towards better behaviors. Well, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, your, your, your kind of Achilles might be chocolate. Mine is definitely wine, you know, and I know, you know, uh, that I shouldn't have that extra glass, but at the same time, um, you know, I just, <laughs> you know, just, just one more one hurt. And so you're right. There is this gap between knowledge and behavior change. And no matter how much knowledge you give people, you know, you actually need to help them. Um, to be able to actually do the right thing, especially at the right time. And and that is not always easy because, you know, people are distracted, people, you know, are stressed, people are actually um, under a lot of pressure at times. And I've been doing uh, a fair bit of reading and dis discussing with security professionals about whether or not, you know, this is such a big challenge, um, you know, for insurance companies, for banks, uh, for law firms, for governments. It's recognized that we have a shortage of security talent <laughs> to be able to resource uh, the teams that need to yes. um, that need to kind of solve this problem. Do you see that as a challenge as well in terms of the the the, the you know just the, the human resource that is available to kind of join security teams and to help with this program? Yes, I, I do and I also see that a lot of how people will react to let's say our wanting to help them acquire better better behaviors has to do with the approach as, let's say, from a company perspective, the, the, the approach that they have in terms of whether it's a, a punitive type of approach or where it's safe, you know, for the, for the employees or for the people to report anything that they might do, right? Mm. Because mm. It, it's two very different scenarios and that's each company's prerogative. I think it will impact and it will change when it comes to reporting and when it comes to being upfront about, you know, security or perhaps less secure behaviors, how people will, will react. On the other hand, yes, I think, I think there is that gap. And in my case, for example, in, in my team at, let's say at full capacity, we are four people plus a manager. And I know we are incredibly lucky because I know there are other companies where it's just a, a one person show, let's say, or maybe not even that, maybe it's somebody who has their time split between their, their day job, let's say, or their paying job and what they volunteer in terms of security awareness. So I, I do think, you know, like with anything, if done halfway, it won't be successful. It, it has to be all in within, you know, the, the possibility of each company. But I do think it's something worth investing in, having people d dedicated full-time, professionals dedicated full-time. And right now it's, it's great because we can even, in, you know, those of us in the field, we can even, you know, train ourselves and, 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 get certified and, and have maybe a, a, 
a frame to accompany maybe what perhaps what we intuitively have been doing. So it's not that, I guess, I don't want to say improvised anymore, but in a way we do have the tools to go train ourselves and, you know, be proper professionals. But yes, I, I think it should be done not halfway, not halfway, not, not as part of a volunteer, wherever possible, full time dedicated to security, security awareness or, or, you know, helping change behaviors. Laura, again, brilliant insights there. I think this idea about a safe culture, um, one that doesn't have these punitive measures, but actually encourages people to surface and volunteer some of the risks that they're encountering or some of the things that they might be suspicious of, I think is incredibly powerful because historically the industry has been seen as a, kind of a bit of a stick <laughs> that will, you know, will beat you down if you, um, yes. if you, if you click or if you report. So I think there's just a whole bunch of opportunity around attitude and posture from the team side. But as you say, these are increasingly becoming, you know, more important as functions that they can't be run by volunteers. You do need dedicated uh, resources in order to execute the program in a good way. More a final question for you. Uh, we have a lot of listeners who um, are at the genesis of building their programs. They feel daunted by the challenge of just how do you end up uh, having something that is stable and scalable that you can build on top of with people and with technology. What advice would you give to somebody that's at the beginning of their um, journey leading either a small function or even indeed leading um, a function with multiple geographies? What is that one nugget that you would like to share about how you've gone about you know, creating a stable, sustainable uh, security program in LATAM? Be mindful of human element, let's say, and, and of the particularities of LATAM as a region. Be sure you have somebody who knows the region and who speaks the languages even better. But, you know, take into account that language will be a barrier, even for those employees that might be regional, let's say. We all like to read things in our mother tongue. And that's, that's one step to taking it more effective. When it comes specifically to, to Latin America, it, you know, if, if you're setting the program, I would say whether it's at a global scale or, or just Latin America, see or assess what you already have. See if you can build on that, right? Don't, don't try to reinvent the wheel. See if you can build on that. If not, okay, what's a, you know, what's a quick win? Is there, it could just be that there's a standard training that you, you know, design and roll out. Okay, that's a good start because that sets the foundation for whatever you want to build on. Create partnerships. That's, and that's true to any job, I dare say. It's, it's be sure to create partnerships. People are more inclined to collaborate when they feel part of something versus feeling that they are told what to do. And especially with Latin America, be flexible because Latin America has, you know, from, from a political standpoint, it, there might be political unrest or things that might affect, or say we schedule a meeting and, you know, it, it might start a few minutes later because we chit-chat at the beginning or this football match or this other social thing that happened. So have, have that flexibility. But I guess if I had to say two things, see what you can build on and invest in building those relationships. First of all, have clear what you want to do, right? But help them invest in them understanding what's in it for them so that they want to partner with you. Well, Maura, you said it. Be mindful of the human element. Be sure to have local language, understanding, assess what you already have, create partnerships, um, be flexible and understanding and build on what you already have. I think these are fantastic insights and our listeners will be ever so grateful for your 
for your wisdom. One more thing, I apologize, Munya. One more thing is sometimes in 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 you know in Latin America, the and from a country perspective, you know the allies that you make, the Bezos we mentioned already, comes mm. people, and yet sometimes the person in in a country or, or in a BU that helps make things happen is not necessarily the highest person from a hierarchical perspective. It's super critical to have manager and leadership finance sponsorship, right? But it's, it's be savvy and try to detect kind of who makes this happen. That, that's the, find out who makes things happen and forge a relationship with those people as well. I, I could speak all day, Munya, but you know, that, that's my last thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I think that's a very, very good one to end on, Maura. Um, having a sponsor and a champion as an ally uh, on either side, I think really, really helps because, you know, sometimes those people are the workhorse. They actually know how things operate and how to get things done in a mm -hmm. good way. So that is a very, very powerful insight indeed. Maura, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And on behalf of our listeners, I want to thank you for the time that you've given us and the wisdom. Maura Durante Estrada, this was my guest today, uh, is Security Awareness Consultant, LATAM Lead at Zurich Insurance. Maura, thank you once again, and hopefully see you again on the show very soon. Anytime. Thank you for having me, Munya. Thank you very much.